husband of Natalie, so I've been told. That's my, <laughs> my position here. Natalie is the wife of Marina, uh, and Marina is the wife of Greg, who I know you know. So I'm here because of who I know, not what I know. <laughs> so if you, if you have a Bible with you, uh, if you're forced here by your parents, I recommend taking a Bible out. We're on page 428 out of that Pew Bible. Uh, this is one of those passages you want to memorize. This, these are one of these passages that are so good, so rich, um, that it will serve you in the most difficult of times. If you ever want to test the Lord, this is the passage to do it with. Um, I remember I was in Haiti back in 2010. We did a medical relief uh, mission trip down to Haiti. And one of the things that I did was pray with the people there. And we would read this psalm over and over and over again. And everybody, almost everybody knew this psalm well. But there was one problem. Too many people take comfort and confidence in this psalm that really shouldn't. They have no business taking confidence and comfort out of this passage here. And I'll explain why. Uh, it, I hope that helps you to think and consider the question, well, why? Why would you say something like that? Well, if you cannot say, if you cannot say the Lord is my shepherd, this psalm is no comfort to you. But it can be. It can be a comfort to you because he says, come to me all who are burdened and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He says, I want to be your shepherd. Come in. There are those who are not of this fold that have to come in. And the good news is you will. And how do I know? Let's say if you're a teenager, say, how do I know I'm going to be part of God's fold, that I'm part of God's people? Well, you are if you end up being one. So go. So go. Take comfort in him. But first and foremost, you have to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I submit. I bend the knee to his will. As we read, if you walk in darkness and you say you're in the light, you're a liar. So it's, this is such an important passage and it's such a beautiful passage. And I, I hate hearing this over and over. When people, you, you've heard this, right? Sometimes it's usually during a baptism. You know, the Lord became, he was first my Lord, and then he became my Savior. Have you heard this? Anybody? Show of hands. I'm sure you've heard this. I hate this. Thank you for your honesty. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. That's not how it works. What we're going to see again and again throughout Scripture is that he is not your Savior unless he is your Lord. And he is not your comfort unless he is your shepherd. This is what we see in this passage. This is what David, who's writing this passage, is trying to convey to us. He wants you not just to say, oh man, he's, a, he's got a great shepherd. He wants you to be jealous for that communion-like bond that he has. It's almost... It's almost this image of Eden as Adam and God walk, and it's almost this beautiful, enticing uh, jealousy. You say, I, I'm jealous for that. I want that. Why can't I have that? Well, he's going to show you how, and that's what we're going to look at. So read with me here uh, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house forever. In the house of the Lord forever. So if you're a note taker, I have three points for you, like a good Baptist. Three points. First point is the Lord must be your confidence and comfort because he is the perfect pastor. Perfect pastor. If you're, if you're not quick at writing like me, it's going to be pastor. It's going to be provider. It's going to be protector. The Lord is my, I'm sorry, the Lord is the perfect pastor, protector, provider. And the way we're going to break this up is verses 1 to 3, the perfect pastor. Verses four, verse 4, the perfect protector. And verses 5 to 6, the perfect provider. The word shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, is, is, is a word that translates just as pastor in the Hebrew. And it's actually the same in the Russian language. Uh, so I speak Russian. So when I read this in Russian, it is not the Lord is my shepherd. It is Gospod Pastor Moy. Do you hear? Yeah, you guys speak Russian. You see? Uh, <laughs> the Lord is my pastor. So that's why, that's why I'm using this picture of pastor. And also intentionally because again and again, especially after the last year, there has been so many people discouraged by their pastor. He wasn't available. He didn't love me well. What about me? What about my needs? What about what I want? And I'm not, I don't mean to be uh, minimizing any of those needs. There are some legitimate needs, and there's really hurting people. But the reason you're disappointed is because they're not meant to be the pastor you put your confidence and comfort in. We disappoint as pastors, I promise, because we are sheep among sheep. And so we are under shepherds. We come and go, but he stays forever. He stays forever. He leads. So pray for your pastors, because they're sheep just like you. And when you are discouraged, when you are disappointed, when you're let down, and you will, not if, but when, remind yourself of this passage, that he is my ultimate pastor. He is perfect. He provides sometimes bad pastors to lead to paths of righteousness. There are some fruit, as we just talked with an old friend of mine, there's some fruit, there's some eureka moments that only happen when you are in a hard season of your life. Sometimes those fruits of righteousness only come when you're surrounded by unrighteousness. Sometimes those fruits of the Holy Spirit will only come when God sends difficulty into your life. Very difficult things. And this is how he does it. He says, I shall not want. Not because I don't have anything that I want. He says, no, because he provides for me everything I need. Notice how he says, he leads me beside still waters. He leads me to green pastures. But 
He begins in the valleys. He begins here on earth. And he slowly begins to move our attention where? Upward to spiritual things. He says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Sheep don't eat righteousness. Right? They don't eat that. So he's moving us towards spiritual things very quickly. And he's going to continue to progress. Look at where he ends in verse 6. In the house of the Lord. He begins in the pastures. He begins in the valleys, at the grass. And we end in the house of the Lord. Which is only for priests. Which is only for priests. And this is, this is a beautiful thing because David, who is the shepherd become king, writes something. He says, I love the house of the Lord. He's the one who says, it's better one day in the house of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. And he understands what that means. But it is much more important when you can say, he is my shepherd, how personal this shepherd is. And this is nothing, this title for God as being provider, providing all your needs, is very common in this time, during David's time. Mesopotamia, Egyptians, and all kinds of other pagans around him in ancient Near Eastern would call their gods shepherds. Because it, was, it wasn't meant to, to, to demote a divinity. It was meant to promote and say, he is the one who provides but the sad reality is those never did, except this one. This one actually does. This is how he distinguishes himself from them. They all take the title, and they borrow. They take these counterfeits, and they say, yeah, I'm, I'm just like your God. But they don't provide. They never deliver. And he actually provides. And, and David, speaking this psalm, likely at the end of his life, he's older, he's actually looking at the shadow of death. He's, he's looking down that valley and thinking, the Lord has been good to me. There's a, there's a maturity there in this passage. There is this consistency, this steadiness, that whatever should come, I know he is faithful. David knows what it's like to, to move forward, driving in life, looking through the rearview mirror. He has been faithful in the past, and so he will be faithful in the future, even though I can't see it. I know he is with me. And he's not, he's not saying your shepherd. He's not saying our shepherd. He's not saying their shepherd. What is he saying? My shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And he doesn't want to distinguish himself. He's not into this individual Christianity that we have cultivated here in the West. What he's saying is we are one unit. And we'll see that in the staff. The word staff, your rod, your staff and your rod, they comfort me. The word staff is actually, before I move on, kids, who knows what a staff looks like? Do you know what a staff looks like? What does a staff look like? Is it, is it like, a, like, a, like a candy cane? That's right. It looks exactly like candy cane. I wouldn't even have thought of that. This is why I need their help. It looks exactly like a candy cane, but a bit big, bigger than a candy cane and less delicious. <laughs> All right? And so this, this staff is actually the same exact word in the Hebrew for tribe. So when he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying, he is my corporate representative. I know that's, that's kind of a big word for some of the young ones here. But who is the corporate representative in your household? It's probably going to be your dad, right? He represents your whole house. And we can take this even larger, uh, that our whole country represented by our president, whether we like it or not. But that is our corporate representative. This is the good news of Jesus being our corporate representative. 
that he stands and represents us before the Father. And we can take comfort in that, that he leads us. And even when we go astray, what does he do? He restores our souls. You know, one of the things I realized about myself this past year, I've got three kids. And I thought, man, the kids just, they weigh me down. I can't get my devotionals done on time. I can't, I don't have time for this. I want to read this book. Didn't get, and then I got a bunch of time. And guess what happened? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing changed. Because you know what it was? It was a heart problem. We, we often like to tell ourselves and allow information, and we chew on it. We believe it, that the problem is outside of us, and the solution is within us. If only that which is in, is in us could just be released, right? It's just any Disney uh, rhetoric, right? No, the problem is within us, and the solution is outside of us, who is the Lord, our shepherd. We are like sheep constantly going astray. I love the, the song, prone to wander, prone to go astray. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You know, I'll ask my kids, why did you do that? I don't know. I am so much like that. Can you relate? We are prone to wander and go astray. And we know sheep are not very smart. And what happens is the sheep, they look down and they want to eat here. And they move further and further and further and further away. And another sheep behind it will follow it. And then another will follow that one. Another will follow that one. And as soon as you know, more and more begin to go astray. But the Lord restores. So here's, here's a hope I want to give you. He will restore his own. But you have to, you have to look to him. Like the snake in the desert, we are constantly being bitten by the snakes of this world. But he says, turn, just, just turn with faith to the bronze serpent. Just look there with faith. And some of us, we think it is enough. It is all, it, my restoration is here on Sunday. I get a little bit of conviction. Maybe I'll get teary-eyed, and that's it. And we'll stop there, and we say, oh, that was good. We do nothing, though. Even when a pandemic comes, and we get all the time, and all the excuses are gone, we still do nothing about it. And nothing changes. It's like going to the doctor. I, I, this is why I hate going to the doctor. He'll say, Listen, your cholesterol is high. You got to cut out sugar. You got to cut out dairy and everything that makes you happy. And, <laughs> and then I come back again, and he says, same. And I think, oh, wow. Did you change anything? I think, no. I didn't. So why are you surprised? <laughs> We're like that, aren't we? We think just the conviction, just that, that heaviness that will come on a Sunday sermon or a song. Sometimes you're sitting in your car and you'll, it'll just hit you. And we think that we can stop right there with just a conviction, just a realization. Yep, I messed up. But do nothing about it. Listen to what he does. He leads us to green pastures. He leads us to still waters. Have you heard the expression, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink? 
And kids, some of you are here. I won't point at the adults. But I don't, kids, some of you are here and you're, you're, you're around the bread of life. You're around the living water. The word is open. It is in front of you. It is sung. It is flying over and around you. But only you can say, this is mine. This is my God. This is not my parents, not my mom's, not my dad's, just. Not just theirs, but he is mine. And I am his. That's the definition of covenant. I am his and he is mine. This is what David is trying to entice us with. Do you not want this intimacy? And he's saying, we need restoration. He wouldn't say it if we didn't need it. He restores us. He takes the initiative. He, le- he makes us lie down. And this is why we can close our eyes and sleep. Even as pastors, you know, uh, last year, the thing that gave me calm is that God has promised, I will build a church. I don't, that's not my job. He says, I will build a church, and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is really good news for a pastor. This is good news for you, too, because you're the church. He is building it, whether you know it or not, whether you feel it or not. He is at work. He is building. He is restoring. He is leading. He is guiding. And we see God's wisdom, God's leadership, and restoration. And that candy cane, do you know why it's shaped like a candy cane, that staff? What they do, shepherds, even today, sometimes what they'll do is they'll use that hook. If there's a sheep down over a cliff and just just hanging over, you've seen this with goats mostly, right? But they're, they're barely standing. What they can do is take that hook and hook the sheep right across its rib cage right here, and they can lift that sheep. Guess what that's called? Restoring. He's restoring it. When we fall, who restores? He does, the shepherd. He restores us. You might seem helpless. You say, there's no way I'm getting out. He says, I know, you dumb sheep. I know. But if the sheep doesn't cry, the shepherd doesn't hear. I've got a baby. I don't feed it until she cries. I don't feed her until she cries. So cry out in prayer. Cry out to the church, to the, to the people around you, to your small groups, to your mentors. If you don't have one, find one. Use the means of grace God has used, has put into place to restore your soul. And David is not talking about restoration of his popularity, of his bank account, or whatever approval of, of men or women around him. He's talking about things that actually matter. The hard thing is whether you believe that your soul matters. Do you believe it? Is righteousness more important to you than anything else? This is where David is focusing, focusing on eternal things. And this leads us to our second point. Your confidence and comfort must be in the Lord because he is your perfect protector. Verse 4. Listen to verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we've talked a little bit about the staff already, how he leads, and he's like the symbolic image of a shepherd, right? He is leading, but the rod is something that's very important. 
And we'll talk about that in a second. But one, one thing I want you to notice here, notice how David's talk of him turns into a conversation with him. Do you see that? Look how the, he, he, there's a he turns into a you. He is so in love with his shepherd. He cannot help when he talks about him to just begin to talk with him. He cannot help to pray to him, to, to, to begin a conversation with the shepherd who is with him. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the question is, well, why will you not fear? Why will you not fear death? Why will you not fear these valleys that will come? What if another pandemic will happen? What if, what's, what's the new variant called? What, is, what are they calling it now? What, Delta. That's what the cool kids are calling it. Uh, today it's Delta. Tomorrow it's, I don't know, Spirit Airlines, whatever it is. I don't know what it's going to be. It doesn't matter because we can look at those valleys. We can look at all the threats and we can say, I don't fear no evil. Why? Kids, why do you think, why do you think he fears no evil? Who can tell me? Yeah. Exactly, because he's all-powerful. Is his hope in himself? No. Like the little preacher said, it is him. He is the one that they put their confidence in. He says, I trust his power, not mine. His strength. You are what? With me. It sounds so easy, doesn't it? We Americans don't like this because we like to buy our way in. We like to earn our seat at the table. And just to say, you know what? You'll be okay because you're with me doesn't really jive well with us. We say, well, Lord, you'll be okay because you're with me. Right? This church will be fine because I'm with them. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It should. But why isn't it as ridiculous when we act like it? We do act like it. We say, I'll, I'll, I'll get through this. I'll figure it out. I'll think of something. And sometimes our, our mindset, we get into this, we want to be our own shepherd. We want to be the one who is all-powerful. We, we like to think that. And we begin to, to lose the grip, and then our grip just gets tighter around our wives, around our kids, and they begin to suffocate because we are not good at being God. And everything begins to wither when we try to do that. We try to do things. God says, I got this. This is my job. This isn't your job. This is my job. He says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Why is his presence so comforting to him? Who can tell me? What does the passage tell us? Why, what does he have that makes this sheep so confident in its shepherd? Kids. Silas. The, the rod and staff. That's what it says. For your rod and staff, they what? They comfort me. They comfort me. Why? Why does the rod and staff comfort? 
One, these are the tools of the trade. This is what he's going to use. The shepherd always uses means. He always uses means. And the, the staff, which is him, he is represented by the staff. The tribe. What is the means that God has given us to restore us today? The church. This tribe. He's given the church. And he says, this is the hope of the world. That I have come and established the church. And he, and he commissions the church to go out and spread the good news. And yet, there are still those who neglect the church. Who neglect the fellowship of the saints. Who say, you know what? YouTube church is just fine for me. It's not. Is that, is that one working right there, that camera? It's not. We need accountability. We need to hear each other. We need to see each other. We need to feel each other because these are the means the shepherd uses to care for the flock. We feed each other. We challenge each other and we grow together. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. So the staff restores us to what? The fold. Back into the fold. That's what we are restored into. That's where our souls are restored into righteousness. The rod is another thing. The rod was also used as a protective mechanism. So the staff would be used to guide, to pat, sometimes to fight off wolves and bears and lions, but most and primarily was the rod. Who knows what a rod looks like? Anybody? You know what a rod looks like? You have one. We have a shepherd. So what does it look like? Does it look like... It's kind of like a little bat, right? It's supposed to be like a little bat. If you go on YouTube and just, just look at uh, Israel shepherds, today, right now, if you travel, you will find shepherds. They'll have like a, a little bat-like thing hanging off. Usually it's hanging off, and then they'll have a staff. And they use it. This is a weapon they were very well equipped with. They could throw it very accurately, and they could kill with one hit, with one throw. This is how well trained they are. And these, this sheep saying, I am comforted because he is well equipped. He knows how to use this like an expert. And it is to fend off evil, to fend off wolves and bears and lions and oh my. <laughs> right? We, we put our trust in him and in his tools and in the means of grace that he has provided for us. We say, I take comfort in those means. I reach and, and I look for those means. And I apply them because I trust him. But here's, here's another way that the rod was used. When there was a wayward sheep, like we, we talked a little bit about, they would lead others astray. And if he would reprimand the sheep over and over, and it would just wouldn't listen. What the shepherd will do is he will take the rod and he'll break the leg of the sheep. You know what I'm talking about, right? Who knows? You guys have, I'm not making this up. We have shepherds of sheep at our church in Pennsylvania. He says, yep, that's, that's, that's the only way to do it. And some of you might think, well, thankfully the church doesn't break our legs. <laughs> YouTube church, no one's going to break your legs. But there's, there's a thing called discipline, right? There's a thing called preaching and saying, come back. There's reproach and correction. 
These are the things that sometimes we don't like. They make us uncomfortable. We say, well, 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 what about, didn't you say God promises us comfort? He does promise comfort when you are uncomfortable. God does not promise you to be comfortable. He doesn't say, come to me to be comfortable. He says, come to me when you need comfort in times when you are uncomfortable. He said, wait, but you're asking me to do something that makes me uncomfortable. He says, yes. Do the thing because I did the most uncomfortable thing. I came from heaven to earth to sweat, to bleed, to hurt for you. And you know what gave him comfort? His father. He doesn't pray, would you just remove this circumstance? Would you just get this out of the way? I don't want to do this. And even when he does, he says, may this cup pass from me, but let your will be done, not mine. We are so keen on praying for circumstances to change rather than our hearts to change. That circumstance might not ever change. Maybe you've married your wilderness. Maybe you've brought on a wilderness and pain and discomfort into your life because of disease or financial ruin. Maybe you're just not good with money. It's time to face that music, but pray for comfort in Him and listen and obey good counsel. There's so many people that will say, Paul, would you give me counsel? Would you give me advice? Sure, I'd love to. So I would read the scriptures, and here's what it says. Yeah, but I just don't feel, and you know what's going to happen, right? They have no interest of listening what scripture tells us to do. It's all about what they feel, not what the scripture says. This is the way. And the Lord will hurt us because he is more interested in our holiness than our happiness. He doesn't care if you are comfortable. But he will always give you comfort when you are on your deathbed, when you have cancer, when you have a miscarriage, when you're separated, divorced, or whatever other thing. Let the list go on. He is found in those moments. And you know who orchestrates those moments? Yeah, sometimes our own stupidity leads us there. It's true. Sometimes just because the world is broken, we are there. And sometimes he says, this is just good for you. Have you noticed my servant? Like he did with Job. Job didn't do anything to, but good to bring it on. But it is to refine, to sanctify us. And listen to what David is saying. He is saying, I know this rod well. I know what it's like to be broken. Do you remember with Nathaniel, when Nathan comes to him? And then he repents. David begins to repent. Listen to what the Proverbs tell us, and I'll get to Psalm 51, that repentance psalm. This theme. Proverbs 13, 24. A father who withholds the what? The rod. Hates his son. Because he loves you, he will not withhold the rod. He would rather break your legs than let you fall into the hands of the devil. This is good news, but it hurts so much. I hate seeing, I hate seeing the suffering 
that we too often bring upon ourselves. And, and we begin to question God's goodness in that pain. Lean into it. Don't go astray. It's, it's simple, but it's not easy. Righteousness costs so much. But in the grand scheme of eternal things, it is a small, small price to pay. He loves, and he does not withhold the rod. Job echoes this. Job 13, 15. Though you crush me, I will hope in you. Great men understand the goodness of correction. David, Psalm 51, his beautiful repentance psalm, verse 7 to 8, he says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. He is good even when things are not. He is good all the time. All the time. Let's look at point number three, our last point. Your confidence and comfort must be in the Lord because he is your perfect provider. Verse five to six. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I love how the the King James says, overfloweth, right? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. That word in the Hebrew is actually a bit more um, active. It's not so passive. Goodness and mercy shall pursue me. We have police officers here. That word pursue is when a sheriff, when a highway patrolman has his sights on you, he will pursue you. Now, he wants to give you a ticket, probably. Hopefully, you'll stop. But the Lord says, goodness and mercy pursue you. They pursue you all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, some scholars have said, you know, notice how he changes from pastor, shepherd, uh, sheep and shepherd picture, and then he begins to move into a host and someone, a guest being there. And that, that could be true, and they say he, he, he kind of just, it's kind of two psalms, and they, they have these two different contrasts. And I said, no, I, I, don't, I, I don't think that's the case. I do think that there is a hosting happening. There is a table, there's a cup, there's a house mentioned here. This is true. They say, well, well, you don't have sheep in the house being hosted like this. I said, true, not normally. But there is one time where we have a picture very similar to this. It's very rare, and I think a very powerful impact on David. Do you remember when Nathan came in 2 Samuel eleven fourteen? 14? He tells him about two shepherds, the poor shepherd and the wealthy shepherd. If you don't know the, the story, the poor shepherd had one little lamb. The wealthy shepherd had many, many lambs. And when his 
the wealthy shepherds came over, he says, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kill my lambs. I'm gonna take the guy who's poor and can't defend himself. I'm gonna take his one only lamb. And David was really angry, and he says, what a jerk. And, da- and Nathan says, that's you. That you are that man. I think that left an impact. And do you remember how the poor shepherd was described in his relationship with that little, little lamb? Do you remember he says, it drank from the cup of the shepherd. It was in his house like a daughter he treated her. And so we have this image, this shepherd who loves this lamb, who brings it into the house, feeds it, cup overflows, and this care and this love that is being seen here. And the table speaks of God's abundance and his ultimate hospitality for us. He anoints the sheep, the host, anoints the guests with oil. Now this, this could be a double meaning here. One, if you are a guest, and some of you would say, please don't pour oil over my head when I come to your house, right? But if you're in the Middle East, this was common, especially like a, like a, a fragrant a nice-smelling oil was, was very common. If you're watching The Chosen, you'll see this. Anybody watching The Chosen? Such a good thing. Please, start watching it. Don't waste your life. Uh, uh, it's so good. Because um, it, it just kind of has a way of enriching the text sometimes. And one of the ways you see that is this, the oil would sometimes be put on the, the, the guest of honor. But also shepherds would put olive oil on sheep around their nose and in their ears because ticks and flies and all kinds of parasites will lay larvae and that larva will begin to drill in and literally will drive the sheep crazy if the shepherd does not fully anoint and cover the head of the sheep. Now this word anoint is the word sanctify, to set apart. Now here we see this setting apart from who? from the enemies. God is saying, there's both. I want to sanctify you and to glorify you as honored in my house. And we say, well, sanctification is hard. So you think it will cost you less, that even the little sins that will eventually drive you crazy, that will embed their larva in your in your heart of hearts that will lead you to want things you, did, you never thought you would want, to do things you never thought you would do, all because you said, I'll pass on the sanctification today. No anointing today. You know, sometimes it's not clear. So kids, let me make it very clear. The word sanctifies us. The word cleanses us. And, and there's... There's a story I tell my son when a son came to his father and says, Dad, I don't want to read any more of the Bible because I don't get it. I can't remember any of it when I read it, right? Do you remember any of it when you read it? No. You remember? That's good. That's better than me. And so one son came to his father and says, I just, it's too hard. And the father says, go get me a basket from the kitchen, uh, the, 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 the chicken coop. You know, those, they're dirty. Chickens are disgusting. Um, very dirty creatures. And so he says, go get me just the basket that they sit on. And so he says, okay, what do you want me to do with it? He brings it and he says, I want you to pour water in it. He says, well, Dad, it's not going to stay. He says, I know. 
just go do it. So he goes and does it, pours water, goes right through, nothing stays. And he says, okay, Dad, now what? He's like, I want you to do it two more times, and then I'll explain what I'm doing. So he goes and does it two more times. Then he comes and says, Dad, just tell me, what am I doing with this dirty thing? He says, what difference do you see with this basket now? He says, well, it's cleaner. I said, is there water in it? No. So this is what the Word of God does. When it goes through us, and oftentimes it just goes through, but every time it does, it sanctifies, it cleanses. And have you ever had this moment where you read something in the morning and the whole day is shaped by that passage? You see it pop up and someone will ask for advice and you're like, actually, I just read something today. It's not just for you either. It's also for others. The church sanctifies the world around it. But we have to be soaking in it. We have to be overfloweth with the word overflowing with his word. And so, what does he do? He gives us the cup. An honorary thing. He, to give us the cup speaks of God's love and symbol of God's benefits. It overflows. Just like in Nathan's parable to David. And we are welcome at the table. Why? Why is a sheep in the house? Why is a sheep at the table? Why is a sheep eating from the shepherd's table? We don't belong. You're not a Christian because there is anything good in you, but because there's all the goodness in him. He has sought to extend his goodness to you. In this, we see his goodness. And Jesus even says himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, what? Lays down his life for the sheep. He doesn't just give his life. He gives everything he has, the home, the food. He says, everything that is mine is yours. And then he says, whoever enters through me will be saved. He will be saved. And this is why we have the communion cup, to remind us of this, that it is in the blood of Christ. In this cup, he says, he extends it to his followers. He says, take this and drink it, all of you. This is the blood. This is the new covenant. I want to give you this illustration. Have you guys heard of the, the thing called lambing? Anybody? No one's ever heard of lambing. Okay, well, you'll learn something new today. In New Zealand, they still do this today. There's a, a huge industry of shepherding there. And sometimes what happens, and kids, this is going to get a little graphic, so uh, it's a be more, more difficult. To, to hear. But what happens sometimes when a shepherd, when it comes time for, a ye for that time of year for sheep to give birth, sometimes a mama sheep will have a lamb, but the lamb will die in childbirth. It doesn't make it. So now there's a mama with no baby. And then somewhere else, right across the valley, there, there will be a mommy that will die in childbirth. But then there's a lamb who's alive. And so you would say, well, it would just make sense for this living mom to take care of this living baby. Just, just put them together. But they don't. That mom will reject if it's not her own. It will reject that lamb. And so here's what the shepherds do. They skin the dead lamb. They take the skin off. And they put the blood and the skin on the living lamb. And they present that lamb to the mom. And you know what the mom does? smells. 
She smells, and she, you know what she smells? Her own. She smells her own on this baby and accepts it as, as her own. And this is what the good shepherd has in mind. He says, I lay down my life, and through me, you will be saved. 2 Corinthians 2.15 tells us, For we are to God a pleasing aroma of Christ. When he presents us through the washing of his blood, clothed in his righteousness, the Father smells and he says, Christ, you are dead, brothers and sisters. You are no longer alive. You think, oh, there's no way he would accept me now. He says, he doesn't see you. He sees Christ. He doesn't smell you. He smells Christ. You are pleasing to him because you are covered in the blood of the Lamb. Stop trying to earn your way in. Stop trying to pretend like you're good enough. Live out of the abundance and the joy that he is yours and you are his. And he said, I love the light. I love righteousness. I love him because of what he's done for me. But I'm not perfect. Yeah, I'll, I'll mess up. But we try to pretend like we're good enough still. He says, don't. You're belittling the gift that has been given to you. And so, when you take the cup today, I pray that you would eagerly confess, eagerly rejoice in this meal and say, God, thank you that I am in your home forever, that your goodness and your mercy, they pursue me always for the end of my life, forever, where only priests are welcome, in the house of the Lord. I am in the holy of holies because you are there forever. So may your fears and your worries be cast out as a shepherd fills your heart with confidence and comfort because he is your perfect pastor, because he is your perfect protector, and he is your perfect provider. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the blood of the Lamb, that you are our shepherd king who leads his people to paths of righteousness and you restore us and our cup overflows because Christ has drank the cup of wrath on us, on our behalf, that now we can drink the cup of life. He has drank your wrath. He has drank death to the last drop and has given us life and has given it to us abundantly. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.